So dopey now is the time for the Dopey Podcast. Dopey Podcast. It's the Dopey Podcast. The Dopey Podcast, yo. This is the Dopey Podcast. This is the Dopey Podcast. Now if your life was furious, hardcore and fast, you feel like you want to put your life on blast. Just call up the show and I talk about your past. Cause now is the time for the Dopey Podcast. Dopey Podcast. It's the Dopey Podcast. The Dopey Podcast, yo. This is the Dopey Podcast. This is the Dopey Podcast. This bonus episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake, and a, apparently another location in West Hollywood. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob to create a place where addicts and alcoholics are treated with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades of experience treat, treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness, as well as addiction in general. They have amenities that make addicts feel good, like sound bath meditation, the sweat lodge, equine therapy, and surfing. They approach healing with kindness, and I have friends who have been there who told me it was an amazing experience for them. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, uh, I totally recommend going to Aloe. And welcome to another bonus episode of Dopey. I'm just pumping out bonus episodes because I like to. I have all this material sitting around. This was uh, a Patreon episode that was meant to be a regular episode, but then it became a Patreon episode. But I liked the interview so much, I wanted to put it up on the regular feed. So this is a filmmaker, A.J. Eaton. He made a documentary about one of my favorite musicians, David Crosby, his movie was called Remember My Name. And um, basically, support us on Patreon. Go join up on Patreon. There's tons of content. This is a sneak preview of some of the amazing content on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. And um, I've always loved David Crosby um, to the max. I love his music. I love his singing. I love his arrogant style. And uh, last summer, I saw this documentary called Remember My Name, and I reached out to A.J. Eaton, and he agreed to come on. The funny thing is that for all of you old-school dopies out there, you know that years ago, Crosby himself blocked me on Twitter. And I think me and A.J. Eaton go into it a bit. But the movie's amazing. I like this interview. Let me know what you think. Drop us a line at www, or no, drop us a line at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Sign up for the Patreon because it helps to put more dopey in the universe. And sit back and relax and check out Mr. A.J. Eden. So I think this is very exciting. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at Amazon, looking for something I hadn't watched, and I saw this documentary that I'd been reading about called David Crosby, remember my name, and I was blown out by it. And I just kind of randomly tweeted at the filmmaker, this guy named A.J. Eaton, and he said he wanted to come on. So welcome to Dopey, A.J. Eaton. Hey, glad to be here. Um, I love this movie. I thought it was an amazing movie. And before we say anything else, you should know that fucking Crosby blocked me on Twitter years ago. Um <laughs> And it was like a, it was like a, it was like a, a, a medal of honor for me because I kept asking him if he thought that he was a worse crackhead than Rick James or Papa John Phillips, and I think he got annoyed. Yeah, he he probably didn't like that. <laughs> I don't think he knew. I don't think he knew where where I was coming from because I, I mean I'm a lifelong 
uh, Crosby fan, and I'm also a lifelong rock and roll fan, and I love movies like this. Do you like the rock and roll uh, documentary also, just in general? Well, I like stories of music and musicians because I just I grew up around musicians. My dad was a songwriter and we had a recording studio at our house actually growing up. And um, I just, you know, there was an influx of musicians that my dad was working with or, you know, recording at the studio or whatever. And I just each one of these people that would walk into this or, you know, that my dad was touring with, he, you know, again, he was a songwriter they all had these just fascinating stories and some people uh, who should have made it didn't. And some people who, you know, you surprised uh, would make it, you know, it's just, it's a fascinating uh, array of stories, what you're dealing with musicians. Totally. And I think that um, Crosby is one of the more, like, if you watch rock and roll documentaries, if you watch TV about rock and roll, if you watch films about rock and roll, you see Crosby pop up everywhere, but never anything like the movie you made, Um, which I think was just, that's why it blew everybody's mind, I think, because it was Mm -hmm. so honest. Uh, I know Mm -hmm. that your brother was playing with with Crosby. Is that what got you towards him? Yeah, I... um my brother uh, is this really talented guy named Marcus Eaton, and he's got this. He is especially gifted on the guitar. Uh, he's not here, so I can say that without his ego right. getting too blown out of proportion. But I'm sure uh, I'm sure he listens to Dopey constantly, though. So Marcus, <laughs> I, I know when you're listening, don't blush or anything. <laughs> yeah, so he's got Marcus is like really just you know very talented uh, at guitar, and and was introduced to Crosby and Crosby, and he just hit it off and. That that introduction was just so surprising, and that was kind of the the, the beginning of what was a, a su- surprising array of, of introduction. So Marcus, my brother, said, you know, invited me to come over and check out what they were recording on, which with, they were writing some songs, which uh, which were for Crosby's first solo album in 20 years, which was called Cross. Right, with, and, his, with uh, his with his son, his estranged son, right? Yeah, James Raymond. Yep. Right, and. Um, James and Cross had had a band called before that called CPR, which is this this album that a lot of people just don't know about. But it is on, you know, it's on on Spotify and Apple Music. CPR stands for Crosby, Pravar and Raymond. And it's it's absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous music. And so, you know, when I was meeting Cross and seeing the story between he and his son, James, then I went back and started listening to this music that they'd made on CPR and I was just I was just shocked it was so good and so as a, as a storyteller were you first drawn to that story the Crosby Raymond uh father son thing was that the beginning of your interest or no yes I was I, I was I I saw what Crosby and his son were up to and I was just again like just blown away by the fact that these people were making up for all of this lost time together, having not, you know, he didn't really know each other until James was like 30. Um, or that's when, you know, he met Cross, And, um, so, uh, and being a son of a songwriter and being, I just thought that was a really beautiful thing. And, um, and that, and also just what they were up to in the recording studio, uh, with my brother and the music was just luscious. It was, uh, you know, real fresh and, and, um, Crosby was just full of all these new ideas and he was, uh, he wasn't afraid to, to try new things, you know, and that was what really struck me. So I, I said, uh, in passing to Crosby after we, we all became friends, uh, that, you know, I should bring my camera crew in and just shoot some footage just for posterity perhaps. And, um, he was agreeable to that. And my hunch was, is that, you know, once I started rolling film, then he, would perhaps start talking about some, you know, some experiences. And that, that was right. He, he, he was ready to start talking and we turned, we turned some footage into, uh, to some, you know, like little, uh, EPKs about the recording of his albums. Cause right. he, he's recorded four albums in five years. He's halfway through a fifth. And, um, but I, but what I was really surprised about, which kind of goes to what you talk about, which is that, you know, I had known, 
you know, I was aware of Crosby's music. I was aware of like, you know, CSN and the R houses and the Southern cross and, you know, sweet Judy blue eyes and all that. I mean, you can't not grow up in the eighties and nineties and, and not be aware of those songs just because they're, you're, they're on the radio. They're, you know, playing in restaurants when you're sitting there eating. And, and so, um, you know, but I also knew, knew because, because you can't growing up in the eighties and nineties, you hear the headlines about Crosby, you know, being a, a, an addict. And, you know, there was a People magazine cover where it was like, you know, con- confessions of an addict. And right. I knew that that was a sensitive topic. But I was also so surprised at how just lucid his mind and imagination was at this point in time. Because, you know, I've been I know some people who were recovering addicts and had and hadn't gone down to the depths that Crosby had come. And they never kind of came fully back, you know, even if, even if they're clean and sober, you can tell it kind of damaged their, their cognitive abilities, I think a little bit and not Crosby. I mean, he was just full in the, all of his faculties with it. He's, he's pokes fun. He's got a great memory. And that's why, um, you know, we, when I met Cameron, Cameron, both Cameron and I crow and, and I both realized like Crosby's ready to talk. And now's the time to get him to talk. Right. And, so that was kind of the way that the jury began. It's just unbelievable because uh, I was just reading. Um, I had seen the movie a few weeks ago, and I was going to watch it again on Amazon. But it's not mm-hmm. rentable on Amazon anymore. Now you have to subscribe to Stars if you want to watch it, or uh, or you have to buy it. I should have bought it. Forgive me for not uh, buying it. We were about to do this. I was like, <laughs> am I going to buy it? Um, but so I started reading the story, and as you're trying to make the documentary. When Cameron Crowe comes into the the story, it's just so cool because he got his start interviewing Crosby back then, and he was mm-hmm. just the ideal person for you to meet, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, there, it's funny because you know these Hollywood tales about how movies come together, and you know, I had been you know I'm also a screenwriter and you know director and narrative, and I've got other projects, you know, in various stages of development and all of that, and so. Um, you know, uh, uh, these things can be surprising and they can take time. Um, but when I met Cameron, um, through our executive producer, Jill Mazursky, uh, I had just kind of like said, look, you know, I'm thinking about doing this Crosby movie and he just almost fell off his chair. Just go, Whoa, I so you're doing a Crosby movie. He's a, he agreed, you know, I've been, I've interviewed him since I was, you know, since I was 16. Right. And I showed him some footage and, and of what we'd already shot. And, uh, he was like, let me do the next interview for you. And so then again, that was like him saying, I can see Crosby's ready to, ready to talk. And they just, they've had this legacy as you see in the movie of Crosby just being completely truthful and blunt. Uh, and which, which was remarkable for, for him to give these great omissions and great honesty to a young, you know, 16 year old journalist, um, at that time and just be completely frank. And I think that Crosby is in a way that's, that's kind of a, it's a really, uh, commendable thing for him as a, a musician at his level and, a, and a, to, to be as truthful and blunt. I mean, you know, follow him on Twitter <laughs> Sorry, he blocked you. You gotta, you <laughs> gotta, get, you gotta get him to unblock me first of all, and and secondly, the thing about Crosby is not only was he in the Birds, Crosby, Stills and Nash, obviously Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and had his solo run, and he's just this prolific singer songwriter harmony singer he's also like so he's a rock and roll star of the first order he's also a drug addict of the first order when you read mm-hmm. about the stuff he did where he wound up the substances mm-hmm. he used and and uh the amounts he used and what happened so again when you talk about him coming back um and his faculties being intact it's a big deal um i get mm-hmm. that um another thing the movie shot incredibly beautifully it just feels good to see um, but the thing about Crosby is he's so blustery. That's why I didn't think he'd block me on Twitter. I figured he'd enjoy my bluster. But he, he's so blustery that he wanted to knock Cameron Crowe out when he was 15 with craziness. And he, when he would go on the Mike Douglas show, he wanted to be, like, profoundly loudmouthy. Like, that was a thing of his, right? He enjoyed being that, that guy. 
Yeah, I think that there's like you see him go up on stage and and talk about the Kennedy assassination right. when when he was with the birds and you can see that he in a way it's kind of a double-edged sword like he he feels like his job is to be the blunt, you know, town crier, you know, if you will, the the spokesperson of our generation, but also that's a way for him to attract attention too. Right. Can you believe what Crosby just said? Right. But most of the time what he says is usually uh pretty commendable as far as like it's defending democracy or it's you know calling to people to reconsider something you know usually you know and that's that's what what got you into like ohio you know when he shows neil young that cover of time magazine and and says Geez, this is just terrible and then inspires a a song one of the great protest songs to be written right there and there well that and was so, that was another thing in the movie that just I think it was probably the most mind-blowing thing was how candidly he talked about his friendships with uh mostly Nash and Young and how mm-hmm. they totally went south on him and how he wasn't a good friend and and you think this this band and you you kind of have an idea that this band was close just the way they sing harmonies just the way they came together just the way they presented you know, if you watch them and to know that they're not speaking now and he says, I was a dick, it's so vulnerable and it's so sad as a fan mm-hmm. to not see them together. Um, what was that like for you uh, uncovering that information? Well, it's, you know, watching the movie is heartbreaking if you're just a person not knowing who Crosby is and you see this guy who's who has had this career and the career was was largely based on him harmonizing in every sense of the word right. with all of these other equally talented people. And they, they changed, you know, they forever changed the course of, of rock music, if you will, uh, or music. And you see those photos of these guys playing 80,000 people stadiums with just four guys standing in front of a mic and there's no pyrotechnics, there's no dancers, you know, like that's true musicians there. And so you know, uh, it is, it's sad just to just, to have that be told to you that like, we're no longer friends and we're no longer making music. But then as the filmmaker who's there on right there behind the camera, when he's telling you that and owning up to it, it is, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's sad. And it's, it's kind of a tragedy in a way, because you just want to say, and many times like throughout this process of like the, movie premiering at Sundance and all of the, the premieres that we've done and, and the response, like I realized that I've, you know, come into the, this music means so much to so many people and their friendship right. means so much to so many people. And it's just like, you wish that you could just say, guys, like, you know, can you just put aside and figure it out just because your friendship is going to do so much good for for other people and other friendships. I mean, you could, especially this year, like with the political season coming about, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash singing together at a political function could really help the help world. Things. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. That's totally true. Um, as a filmmaker, as the filmmaker of this movie, you know, did you approach Nash? Did you approach Neil Young? Did you approach Stephen Stills? Did you approach? I think you had Roger McGuinn in your stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think well, McGuinn, McGuinn is like the, the most easygoing Crosby hater because he can he like he has the longest time apart. I think he doesn't. He, the, you, it's not so fresh for McGuinn. You got it. That's exactly it. With McGuinn, McGuinn and, and Chris Hillman, too. Um, it was it was like it's not the, the, the wound is definitely healed over and the scar is barely there. Um, but with with Nash and and, you know, his his, you know, most recent um, you know, breakups, it's still very tender. And so when we, you know, Cameron Crowe and I were first kind of got together and we, I started telling him about what my ideas are. We were bouncing back and forth in these ideas, but we both collectively decided that we didn't want to do a big parade of, of talking heads. Right. Um, and, and with, with the way that Crosby tells stories and how great of a raconteur he is, you know, let let the man tell his own story and, and describe his own journey for, for good and for bad. And 
you know, he like be the, the narrator of his own life story of like, like writing a long lost letter to letter to an old friend or something. And, uh, so, you know, yeah, we, we did, you know, we were in communication with, with, uh, Graham and Steven because, you know, when you do a movie, you have to get permission for, right. you know, for music. Um, and so one, uh, wonderful thing, uh, I think Graham Nash is just, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, and, um, he is a very intellectual and smart person too. Um, and he said he wasn't going to stand in the way of our movie. And he said that just make sure it's honest. And I think we did our best with that. Yeah. It's, it's really, really, really (laughs) amazing. I mean, I'm a drug addict in recovery and, and one thing, and our audience, like a ton of our audience is either on drugs or in recovery, somewhere in between. And, Mm -hmm. um, you want recovery to bring back your relationships. You want recovery to, to give you the, the nice bow at the end of your fucking fuck-ups. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, but I'm okay mm-hmm. now. And I think this movie shows that sometimes your, the consequences of your actions make it impossible to get where you, you know, to, where recompense is possible. But still, the future is unwritten for these guys. They've been friends, you know, mm-hmm. for 40 years. So like mm-hmm. I have, I mean, as an optimist, you know, I have faith. Are you okay? You want to drink, get a drink no, of water no, or something? I'm good. That I'm happens good. to Thank me you. in the worst moments. I fucking hate that. Um, sorry. No, don't be sorry. It's no no problem. Now, I, I, from what I understood, because I heard Crosby on the Howard Stern show, and he was amazing. It was years ago, but he was amazing on Stern. And uh, he said he's done with drugs, but he still smokes weed occasionally. Is he still smoking butt, or is he not smoking butt anymore? Um, well, yeah, he does, um, he does smoke bud. Um, and, um, you know, he, uh, I, I don't really see that as, uh, I see that as his pain relief because he, he had a motorcycle accident and he screwed his shoulder up pretty bad. And, you know, he's also got some major health issues as discussed in the movie, where right. like he's got nine stints in his heart. He's got um, you know, he's had two or three heart attacks and he's got, you know, he's had the, uh, the, uh, liver transplant. Um, and so the, the, uh, smoking pot is just kind of his medicinal pain relief. Um, and he doesn't, he, he openly talks about in other interviews that are out there about how, uh, for him, you know, he smoking bud during the day, uh, he doesn't get anything done, and he's someone who has kind of an ambition to try to write, and you know he's got things he wants to accomplish during his day, and so um, his to my you know my experience around him is that he just smokes it at night and he uses it to sleep. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I can't judge anybody for for anything. Um, and uh, how much do you think? And this is a question that might offend you, so brace yourself. I don't want to okay. offend you. How much does does Neil Young hate him? Is there any way Neil Young will, will open up his heart to good old Cross or no? Well, I don't really. I can't comment on. I, I think Neil's co- has commented about the movie in in an L.A. Times article. What did he say? And I think he said something about uh, uh, Crosby should write a book on you know how to lose friends or something like uh, that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know the the issue is is that we the you know Crosby made a comment about who is now uh, Neil's wife, and um, and the, the the comment was made uh, kind of in passing. He apologized for it. Um, and he, a number of times, but Neil is that type of personality where, you know, they've, it's happened many times where like in the middle of a tour or something like that, Neil will just decide that it's not right. And he'll just, he's out and he's a very stubborn, loyal person. It's the, it's uh, the mercurial nature of genius, I suppose, you know, it's crazy. I mean, Um, you know, they, they're just, they're very, um, you know, it, it's again, that's that's one of those friendships that could be so beneficial if they could just work through it. Well, the fucked up thing about that to me is like Crosby's going to fucking die. You know, he's he's on. a So is Neil Young. They're old men. They're on limited mm-hmm. time time frames. And as mm-hmm. fans, you want to, to see them get together. I think the other thing in the movie, I, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the raw honesty 
blew my mind. But the thing that I had never seen before was the footage of them singing at the White House that Silent Night or Amazing oh, Grace. Yeah. It was a silent. It was Silent Night. Silent Night. And yeah. it, it was like I've never seen. I mean, like the harmony was so off, and uh, it was so. Like it was just the closing of 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 their band, and it was like so poignant and amazing mm-hmm. to see what it. Uh, what? How did you find it? Did he bring it up? Did you know about it? Um, well, we we had done um, you know a number of a series of interviews with Crosby on the road and throughout the course over about a year of like hardcore interviews, you know. But then I was you know also. You know, I would pop in at places on his tour and shoot footage and um, and uh, but during the course of one of those uh, uh, interviews, um, we Cameron was there and we he asked him about, you know, one of the when was the last time you guys played together? And he went on to describe that whole. Oh, my God. Uh, experience, you know, <laughs> singing at the White House. And, um, you know, it's unfortunately it's it's that they. Sometimes life uh, kind of encounters things and you have an experience that are symbolic of what you're feeling. Um, and, you know, that was a, a, a not only that they were it was cold outside and all that, but there were some technical problems, too, that were making those, you know, giving the wrong board feeds to the wrong, um, you know, in-ear monitors. Uh-huh. But uh, but and so it wasn't like it's not that they are, that they come off that terrible when they were actually seeing, but there was some technical problems, but it was very symbolic of what was happening in real life, that they were out of harmony. They were, um, they were not working together and things were just not working. And it is kind of ironic that the last, um, so yes, finding that footage was then was, uh, it was out there and we, um, you know, it was part of the historical, uh, public record, um, being that it was a, an official park service or official white house, uh, you know, event or through the park service or the, yeah. Totally. And Steven stills can't sing anymore anyway though. Right. He can barely <clears throat> sing now. Right. <clears throat> well, he's still, he can still, um, you know, he's just, he's got a, um, you know he's been, he's just been playing in in uh, in loud bands for a long yeah. time, so it's hard. He's, you know, hearing is is an issue. Well, his style also was more guttural. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Than than Crosby and Nash, and it, it's harder to sustain that kind of a voice. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I loved your movie, man, and I really really appreciate you coming on our little show. And um, you know, when I started I started making the show with my friend who's a drug addict also, and he wound up relapsing and dying years ago. Um, and Sorry to hear that. yeah, it's terrible. But Crosby was always, you know, I have a, a list of people that I've always wanted to be on the show. And Crosby has always been right at the top of the list. And when he blocked me from Twitter, my heart broke into a thousand pieces. Although I was impressed that I was that David Crosby spent the minute to block me. I felt like very important for a second. <laughs> so please tell him that we love him in the dopey nation and that his story could help people if he wanted to come on. You know, because you could tell him. I'll that, tell right? him. All right, I'll tell him. And more importantly, you know, though, thank him for the music and thank you for the movie. It was just—it was so tremendous. It's such a good movie. What's coming up from you? Well, um, thank you. I, I'm really honored that you that you respond to the movie, and it means that that means it's just a real um, honor for me to to hear that from you guys. And uh, you know, what was kind of cool just about the the addiction part is that I knew that it was going to be a very sensitive topic. And, you know, a lot of people, the first thing that they want to do is ask Crosby about, oh, because that's the thing, one of the things that he's known for is right. being the the guy who got thrown in the jail, you know, doing drugs. And and I was, uh, when I first met him, I was I was really just not really interested in going to that, that typical place or that place that a lot of other, you know, tabloid media interviews, everything they always want to ask him. And it was his, what, after we generated a, a, a level of trust because, and it came through the music and the music that he was writing today, as I say, it's like the window is open and the light shining through. Um, he, the lyrics in some of these new albums, Lighthouse and Here If You Listen, especially, 
um, are are talking about these days of like Christine, you know, his losing his girlfriend, and how he's still kind of processing those experiences, and kind of you know he's the clouds have parted and he's really uh, wanting to talk about it. So so he went there, you know, he was once once we really uh, started talking, he was he was openly willing to start talking about those those things that are hard and, and, and the same thing goes with Jan Crosby too. Well, I want, I want to mention this before because I ended it prematurely without talking about addiction. That's how terrible I am at making my show. But, um, <laughs> um, the thing that you're talking about is that Crosby was a, was a crazy acid head, you know, pot smoker, drug taker, but he had this beautiful girlfriend who died tragically in a car accident, which was the trauma that really drove him to the insane levels of drug use, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah. and, like, who's to say what would have happened had she not died like that? Yeah, totally. I mean, that was his—there's, uh, I think, a great line in the movie. He said that, you know, you, you take drugs so you, so to make it try to feel better, but then you feel bad about taking drugs, and so you take more drugs— and it just turns into this like vicious, like downward spiral. And, um, but, you know, he's also, he's been in the program, you know, a number of programs and he's really good at talking about, um, owning up and taking responsibility. And he is in a good place where he's, I think he's been very helpful to a lot of people who've also suffered and then, of course, you see the relationship between he and Jan, where she was someone who was trying to pull him out. And she says, well, here, why don't I take some to see how it goes so I can help pull you out? And, and she became she a crippled drug addict, crackhead, uh, heroin addict, yeah. right? Like she had. Yeah. A, yeah. And the two of them look so much better now. And um, and he actually <clears throat> that story with what's her face with Melissa Etheridge, that he was the sperm donor, right, for her baby. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's a rich life right there. You know what I'm sure saying? Is. You do all this stuff and um and then the fact that he's touring, leaving him, you know, leaving Jan, leaving his house, leaving his world, is it why is he doing it really? Cuz he loves to perform. Well, I think it's <clears throat> I think it's two things. I think yes, he his if you will, I think his his drug is the audience adulation. Right. I think his drug is getting up there and being able to play music and hearing that roar of an audience. And I think that's that's a real healthy, uh, great drug, you know. And so he's forever going to be doing that. And he loves making music. Um, and I think that if he were to, you know, retire or something, which I, is not really plausible for the Crosby that I know, um, you know, sitting back and, you know, on a rocking chair, that would be the music is what's keeping him going. Right. And perhaps if, if he didn't tour, I mean, like I know that I, I don't relapse by staying busy. I don't consider using by, by staying as engaged as I can possibly be. And, um, and I'm sure that's similar for, for him, even though I've never had the honor of actually meeting him. Um, I mean, busyness is the great remedy for a lot of addicts. It's feeling useful. It's knowing, who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what's the reaction from, from the fans? Like when, when you took Crosby to the, um, the, whatchamacallit, uh, the Topanga Canyon, uh, market, was there a reaction? Cause it looks like nobody's there. Did people see him? Laurel Canyon? Yeah. Sorry. Laurel Canyon market. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, that was, a that was a real fun day because, um, we, uh, after, you know, again, we, we, we had done a, n- a number of interviews with Crosby and he had talked about these various stages of his life a number of times throughout this series. And I finally said, look, we've got to, we've got to go with Crosby into the world and go and get some reactions from him and figure out, you know, how he's going to respond because it's easy to sit in a chair and contemplate, um, and tell, you know, these stories about and reminisce but if you go and sit on the steps of the place that it happens, you're going to have a different set of reactions and, and you're going to be flooded with memories. And that's what you want to do. So anyway, he was he was literally on his way to tour and he lives you know, north of Santa Barbara, as you see in the movie. It takes a couple of hours to drive to L.A. And it's uh, so, you know, getting him going to Laurel Canyon 
we needed to go before he, he had to go and do a rehearsal and some press and start going out on tour. So, um, he reluctantly was not, he wasn't too happy about going to Laurel Canyon because he, as you can see, he just doesn't think that it's, he thinks it's got gotten over blown and too cliche. And a lot of people like think that it was like this romantic thing. And as you see in the movie, he's like, there's no cinematic value here at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's not the shot. It's not here. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, but he ends up going right after he says that, then he ends up talking about his, his uh, memories with Cass and, and uh, his memories with, with Joni. And we pull up to the house at Joni and he, you know, and that was exactly what I was hoping. That to, was your plan. We it all paid off. Get. Your diabolical plan came to fruition. Uh, which <laughs> That's was... right. That's right. And he, to his, uh, you know, to his, you know, commendable credit, like he was willing to go because he trusted us and he was willing to talk about those things that were, he was, he'd rather not talk about. Um, and, uh, or he's been asked about dozens of times, but this was, this was the chance to do, to do it right. You know? Well, that's, that's Um, the strength of the movie. The strength of the movie is the vulnerability and the fact that Crosby fucked up and didn't fix everything (laughs) and can own up to his, his failures, his weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what makes the movie so great. I was reading an interview where he's talking about music docs that aren't so fulfilling and he kind of acknowledges the Keith Richards doc is this, it was a good documentary, but it doesn't show the pain of failure, of defeat, of the hero who fails and then just gets up again and the value in that, you know, that's the strength mm-hmm. of this movie, which is why it really just blew me away. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So we, I, I, uh, had encouraged Crosby to watch the Keith Richards doc. I also encouraged, took him to see a movie called keep on keeping on, which is about this legendary, uh, jazz fuglehorn, uh, uh, musician named Clark Terry. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and Clark was was a uh, you know known as a mentor to many musician and uh, and jazz musician. And his first student was Quincy Jones. Right. But it was this. It's it's a real tender, great story of a musician and just and I could see Crosby was responding to the to those movies, both the Keith Richards and the and the Keep on Keeping on. And and I could see that I was showing him like this is we i think we could be honest and i think we can make a beautiful story and and by the way you've got some beautiful new music too and that's the whole movie closes with this song that just absolutely melts your heart called glory um which is just like through it all the guy is still coming up with these great melodies and working with these young people and it's kind of rebirth yeah amazing i love that um one more thing is how are the people reacting to him you know what I mean? Like when you travel with Crosby, like what does the man in the street say to him? Oh, well, you know, he's, he's a, he, he, he's an interesting guy because he, he's a celebrity and he's a well-known person, but also people, some people, younger folk, um, they know that they know him, but they don't know what exactly they know him from. Right. <clears throat> so <laughs> he even uh, finds some. He there's a funny story that I have him telling, which is like he was in New Orleans and there were he was walking into his hotel and this person spots him and there's like oh oh my god Simon and Garfunkel yeah you're, you're Simon and Garfunkel he goes no no not Simon and Garfunkel no yes you are everyone look it's Simon and Garfunkel so people know that he's a famous musician but sometimes they they think that and so because he's of that era but um you know a lot of people the the typical uh thing is is that people want to come up and share uh with him that you know oh you know deja vu i I had that album or went to woodstock or what was it like at woodstock and and he he's pretty good at dealing with with uh with people but he's also you know he's kind of tired of being, being asked that same question about Woodstock, um, over and over again. But, you know, that's part of his, his journey is that you're a celebrity and you got, you know, you were part of something that changed the world and people are going to ask you a lot about it. And, uh, but for me being on tour with the movie premiering at Sundance and I get people come up to me and, 
if, if it's it's almost as if like I did a Star Wars movie. If you forgive me for saying that, if I may be so bold, but it's you like, mean one of the good Star Wars movies, though? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where it's like you're taking on something that means so much to so many people, mm-hmm. and you have the major responsibility of treating it with with reverence and dignity and intelligence and, and depth and intelligence. Yeah, and depth and you know, you know, people are going to go see it. But, you know, treat it, you know, you've got a major responsibility. And so I, it, I knew that going in, uh, but also objective, too. You know, so I knew that we couldn't sometimes like there's going to be the typical things that you would expect, the typical songs. Uh, and so we went with some deep cuts instead. You know, like we know that, that the birds did turn, turn, turn. We've seen that in so many movies Every movie that that has to describe the you know the '60s or '70s, they'll often use that song. And so we thought, let uh, let us uh, let let's do you know. So you want to be a rock and roll star, and and that's symbolic of what these guys were doing at the time. Totally. Um, well, that's the thing. And many other when, things. When you talk about being like handling a Star Wars movie, I mean, like I spent like five years of my life watching Woodstock over and over again, watching all this footage. So when you're entrusted to these incredible scenes, you know, the birds live at the whiskey and, and Woodstock and Crosby, Stills and Nash on tour. It, it is that, I mean, you, you're inscribed like this ridiculous, um, uh, world of, of rock and roll value. And, and, and then mm-hmm. you get to use it as you see foot fit to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to make his story have the kind of gravitas that it's meant to have. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, you did a good job, man. I hope you're. I hope Thank you're. Pr- you. I hope you're proud of yourself because I'm proud Thank of you. you. Well, I'm. I'm honored to have been entrusted with that responsibility, and I'm honored to have been. You know, had the opportunity to work with like one of my director heroes, Cameron Crowe, and you know Michelle Farinola and my whole team of, of people. Because you know, I learned early on, having worked with a number of directors, is that the best thing you do is it's like it's like putting a band together. You hire the best players that you possibly can, totally. and we. We had the dream team, but, you know, I was going to tell you, like I had <clears throat> so many people you know, during the premieres and, you know, the screens of this movie would come up to me afterward and they would be crying. And that was very impactful to me because I just didn't know how to handle this onslaught of emotion. And I remember one woman coming up to me at, uh, at Sundance, just, just bawling. And she's like, I just want to thank you because that was the first album that I bought and it was the only album that my dad and I could listen to together. And, um, I, it's still to this day, it was the only way that we could talk, you know, so wow. you can see that this music means so much to people in so many ways. And I remember watching her like walking her high heels in through the snow, just crying and just, I'll never forget that. And that happens so many times where I would have that happen and I would need to go and take a walk myself just to kind of clear my head and realize like, because when you're making a movie and you're being, you know, telling someone's story, um, like we did. And, you know, when you've got Jan, these you know, Crosby and Jan Crosby admitting these things that are so hard, um, but your head is just down to the grindstone, you know, and then you see it with an audience, you realize like, Oh my God, like, it it really can so I I it was very uh, emotionally impactful for me to to experience that. Well, I think it's it's awesome, and um, I, I I thank you for coming on. And um, if you're looking for a project, maybe you should consider doing the Dopey movie. Maybe that should be <laughs> maybe that should be coming maybe. up. Look into maybe, it. Yeah. It's got a lot more depth than you might think. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. We'll talk. We'll All talk. right, AJ Eden, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. So that was AJ Eden, a, a, a true mensch, as we like to say. Amazing filmmaker, good guy. And I'm sure you guys are wondering, did we ever have talks about the Dopey documentary in the works? Let's just say there have been a few suitors for the Dopey doc, but let's say uh, it's not happening just yet. One day there will be a glorious documentary about Dopey. I don't know when that will be, but it will be eventually. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but one of my favorite sponsors ever was Brainwash Coffee because they give half of their profits to addicts, which I love. And we have a little Brainwashed Coffee competition, and I have a voicemail from there that I want to play for you guys. It's fucking 
Um, a great running from the law story from one of our wonderful listeners from down south. His name is Adam. Check it out. What's up, Dave? Dopey Nation. That's Adam from Alabama checking in with a little dopey story for the brainwashed coffee. Um, so I was 18. I had just gotten out of my first rehab. I went to my first rehab when I was like 17. Spent a year. Actually, I only stayed for six months. Anyways, I get back out on the streets and um, pretty much immediately started getting high again. Um, I had already been shooting coke, but then I got introduced to uh, shooting methamphetamines, which I had been doing meth forever and um, just had never shot it. So me and this uh, me and this guy that I'd met in rehab, we meet up on the streets and we start making counterfeit money and um, we decide that we'll go buy an off-road vehicle with it. So like a Jeep. So we go and we buy a Jeep and um, everything goes smooth. We get the Jeep and we go to this motel on the other side of town and we're in the motel and I'm in there printing money and he goes outside and he's like spray painting the Jeep black and it's like three o'clock in the morning and we uh this Indian guy comes down there and he's like you must leave you must leave and talks about calling the cops so we pack everything up real quick and we get out of there and we go driving and we try to find another hotel and when we pull in there's a bunch of SUVs, and if you're tweaked out, SUVs automatically mean task force. So I'm like, man, I think the task force is here. We need to leave. So we go to leave, and as we're pulling out, this truck is is like on the road, and he doesn't have a stop sign, but yet he still stops and tells us to go in front of him. So we pull out, and as we pull out, I look in the dash or in the grill, and I see little lights. And I'm like, man, that's the fucking cops. And I tell him to get on the interstate and try to get us over the state line because we weren't far from the state line. Well, like that was even going to do anything. Like they're just going to stop at the state line. You're right. So anyways, we take off down the interstate. And then, the, you know, the cop hits his lights. That truck followed us. He hits his lights. Sure enough, it's a cop. We're in a chase. Dude driving's like, I'm not stopping. And we're going as fast as this little Jeep will take us. And uh, we get to this exit, and he, like, goes off the side of the interstate and up this hill and comes out on the road. And we're going down this road. It's a curvy road, and he's on the wrong side of the road and I, on turns, and I just know we're about to die or go to prison for the rest of our life. We got a whole line of cops behind us. And then we come around a turn, and in the straightaway, there's a uh, there's a cop, and he lets out a spike strip. And man, I, I felt like I was on cops or some shit. Anyways, we we get away from him. We go down. You know, he swerves. He says he missed the spike strip. We we're still running. We cut down this ditch and go down this road, and we wreck into a cow gate and then into a tree. And then there's uh we had a dog and uh like I, I couldn't get out because my door was pinned shut, so I had to bail out the other side of the Jeep and we're running and running and uh anyways we got away and it's obviously scared me to, to death. We didn't get away together though, we separated and uh I went back to my grandmother's house and was like I'm done with this shit. And, you know, that didn't last long. Um, it's a little bit longer of a story, but I'm already a minute over, so fuck it. There it is. I hope I get some coffee. Talk to you guys later. Uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. So thank you, Adam. Killer voicemail. I love running from the law stories. It always makes me think of the Blues Brothers. If you guys out there have a good dopey story where something ridiculous happened and you want to win some coffee. I think I'm going to honor the Brainwash Coffee Company's uh, dopey story shit. I'm going to send Adam, or the Brainwash Coffee Company's going to send Adam some coffee. Uh, check them out at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Uh, send in emails and voicemails to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. It is a joy to put out this show. 
Um, it is a joy to be in recovery and reflect on the uh, side-splitting and, you know, heart-wrenching antics that got us all here. A.J. Eden is a, you know, amazing documentarian. David Crosby, of course, is one of us. Um, we're just chugging along over here. So thank you guys for being a part of the Dopey Nation. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay strong, my brothers and sisters, in and out of recovery. And fucking toodles for Chris. I'll just have to walk around